Hey guys, I just want to bring another message to you uh, titled uh, Identity Crisis. Uh, so I say both in this country and within the church, we've got an identity crisis. We have a whole group of people who are asking, who am I? Why am I here? What am I going? Where am I going? And what am I? We look all around, we see the gender identities, the uh, orientation identities, uh, always got to be attached to something. Even within the church community, we look at uh, folks that they're finding their identity within a denomination, whether it be Baptist, Pentecostal, Methodist, Lutheran, Catholic, you name it. We got people looking for identities in the wrong area especially christians it should be a no-brainer for anybody that is a born-again believer a christian they should know their identity but either way let's look at what the word of god says if you will turn with me to second corinthians five seventeen. this is where i'm going to start out and this is how we find the answer to this as as Christians, as born-again believers. I've said many times before that everything in life has got to be viewed through the lenses of Scripture. Everything in life, the Scripture applies to. And it's how we make our decisions on what's right and what's wrong. We inherently know basically what's right and what's wrong. But in a world that, in the fallen world that we live in, what is right and what is wrong is left up to interpretation of the individual. It's usually broken down traditionally three different ways. One, what the individual says, what is right and what's wrong. So what's your internal moral compass? Secondly is what's uh, socially and culturally considered wrong and right. And thirdly, and the most important one to me, is what does the Bible say is wrong and right? That's just a little bit of food for thought. Anyways, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Look, all things become new. We also look in Romans 8, and Romans 8 describes us as heirs of God, more than just conquerors, adopted children of God. That's what our identity is when we come to Christ. That we are a new creature. That we are more than just conquerors. That he has adopted us and we are now his heirs. That's a big identity. That's an identity that comes with authority. That allows us to operate in ways that we would not be able to operate beforehand. As I've said in the past, just like uh, 
Just like somebody that goes to a foreign land as a representation or representative of their home country. That's part of what we are here in this world. That's a part of our identity is the representation of God's kingdom. And I'm not going to lie. I'm just as guilty as anybody else. But sometimes we really, really do a bad job. I shouldn't say sometimes. A lot of times we're guilty of not doing a very good job of representing the kingdom of God. Especially when we don't have love for one another. Especially when we've got a lot of bickering and fighting and division going along. But knowing our identity is very important. Uh, one of my favorite uh, former pastors in history and theologians and writers is Charles Spurgeon. And I was reading an article on his church and how his church grew so rapidly into the size that it was in the, inside of London, England there. And he was recorded saying that he had no hand in that. That that was not him that grew the church. It was the people within that church. Because those people understood their identity. They knew who they were and whom they were. And they ministered to the ones around them. The people around them saw their lives. They saw the rapid and the radical change within their lives after they came to Jesus. They could see the fruits of the changed lives, the fruits of their salvation, the changed hearts. And that's one of the things that we need to look at. One is our fruits. Are there any fruits that our lives have been changed? Are we literally able to live a lifestyle that is contradictory to the Bible and have entertainment that is contradictory to the Bible and not have any remorse? Are we able to look at pornography in our secret room and not have any remorse? Are we able to talk about someone that we are not married to in a very inappropriate way and not have remorse? Are we able to drive down the road with such rage, cussing at people that we may or may not know and not have any remorse? If there's no remorse, I really, really question whether or not you've been saved because the fruits are not there. And you might need to get alone with the Lord and address that really quickly. But what are some of the things that our new identity has given us? One of the first things I would like to say is a spirit of self-control. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. That self-control is a big thing because that is one thing in our society that most adult people lack is self-control self-control prevents you from doing a lot of stupid stuff 
Self-control allows you to say, hey, I'm going to live a healthy lifestyle. Not even speaking biblically, but just saying, I'm going to live a healthy lifestyle. I'm going to try to eat appropriately. I'm going to watch my portions. I'm going to try and exercise my body. I'm going to try to do what I know is right. Now we add in the layer, the biblical layer there. That self-control is even greater and we have the help of the holy spirit to have self-control self-control it's like being invited to go somewhere that you know you have no business being like i'm not gonna go there thank you guys i'll see you tomorrow y'all have fun but i'm not going there Or somebody cuts you off in traffic and you just want to yell at them and throw them hand gestures. You got self-control not to do that. Or self-control of, I want to do this, but the Bible says I need to do this. I'm going to go with what the Word of God says, no matter what it might cost me. That's a part of self-control. And when we're utilizing our self-control, we find ourselves utilizing love more frequently. And we find ourselves operating within the power of the Holy Spirit very frequently. To go along with self-control... Our identity also gives us words that are seasoned. Colossians four six says, "Let your speak always, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you should answer everyone." And Ephesians four twenty nine says, "Not to let any unwholesome word come out of your mouth." Our speech can be a stumbling block to the ones around us, especially the children who are always watching. And speaking of children, Matthew, Mark, and Luke record Jesus saying that it would be better to have a millstone around your neck and tossed into the water than to be a stumbling block to the children. Our speech is a big thing. Communication, whether you realize it, is a big thing. You don't even have to open your words and you're still communicating through your body language. But our words are even more important. The tone of voice that we use and the words that we choose to use are very, very important. And I know that there's the argument out there that we can say whatever we want. That no man can really determine what a cuss word is. And it's more about the heart. And there's some truth to that. But the other truth is, is if I'm cussing up a storm and my son hears me and goes to school, there's a 100% chance if he says those exact words, he's going to be in trouble. There's a 100% chance if I went into a courtroom and stood before a judge and used that language within the courtroom that I'd be found in content. 
So there is that level right there. We can say whatever we want, but there are certain words that we know good and well that we should not use. But a part of it being seasoned is also knowing when we can use those words and when we cannot. Because there's other words that are not offensive here that you go to another country, they're very offensive. And a part of being seasoned is knowing that I cannot use that commonly used word in this country over there. Because it is not going to be seasoned. There's also a difference between telling my wife, I got this, move out the way. And you look like you need some help. Can I help you? Seasoned words there. Also comes with experience. And the excuse of, that's just who I am. That's a little mess too, brother. Because if you're a born-again believer, then the excuse of that's just who I am. No, it is not. If you're a born-again child of God, then that's who you were. That is not who you are anymore. And if it is, you need to get on your knees and have a conversation with God. Because you are now a new creature and you need to start acting like it. Our speech is very important. We mix our speech with our actions, and that's our testimony. That shows people what our character is when they see how we act. Because I still believe actions speak louder than words. But words are still pretty loud, too. So we need to be cautious how we speak and cautious how we act. The other thing for a new creature is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I'm not talking about the Spirit dwelling within us that happens at the moment we get saved. Because we are a temple. I'm talking about the being filled with the Holy Spirit. I was doing a search on that, uh, on one of my softwares, uh, Bible study softwares. And from what I could find, there was at least 77 times where the Bible talked about somebody being filled with the Holy Spirit, both in New and Old Testament. It also says in Acts 1.5, it says, For John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And that Holy Spirit, that's what equips us to have a spirit of self-control, to have seasoned words, the power to change the world around us, divine wisdom, and all the other gifts of the Spirit. We are to constantly be seeking the Lord and asking Him to fill us with His Spirit. Because you can lose that filledness. You start acting out in rebellion, I can guarantee you the Holy Spirit is not going to be filling you up. I'm not saying you're going to lose your salvation, but I am saying you're going to feel very alone and very disconnected from God. 
I say that from experience because I've been there. I've had it happen. I know what it feels like. That was one of the worst feelings I ever had in my life. And I refuse to ever feel that way again. And in order to never feel that way again, I have to have self-control and I have to repent daily and I have to seek out the Lord and ask him to continually fill me up. Because without him, I am nothing and I can do nothing. But most importantly, the most important question to ask today Is, is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? Because none of this matters if it is not written in that Lamb's book of life. None of it matters. Everything is in vain and everything you do has no matter and no purpose if your name is not written in that book. There's a way to guarantee it's written in that book. We'll get to that here in a second. But let's look at Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 through 15, and see why it's so important to answer this question. It says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. From his face the earth and the heavens fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. Y'all catch that? Small and great. It doesn't matter what your status is your beliefs or your denomination, nothing matters, both small and great, standing before God. Books were open. Then another book was open, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to their works as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works, Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Then we go back to Matthew chapter 7, 22 through 23 says, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonderful works in your name? But then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice evil. These two passages are not very pleasant, and they shouldn't be, but they are the truth. The second one from Matthew should be even more disturbing because obviously this is people who are in the church right now and have been in the church throughout the years that declared to be followers of God. That did work in his name. That were faithful church people. And for Jesus to say, Depart from me, I never knew you. <coughs> Excuse me. That should be disturbing. We should check ourselves on that. And if you notice, they also speak nothing of denominational origins, organizational affiliations, personal or organizational identities, 
no gender, race, creed, social status, or anything else other than was their name in the book of life. It didn't matter if they were wealthy, if they were poor, slave, free, a good person, a convict. None of it mattered except for was their name in that book. And we can play church all day long, but at the end of the day, the reality of those who do not know Jesus, this is that reality. And this should not sit well with any of us. Our identity in Christ is one thing that we need to share with vigor and passion to the world around us. We need to share that Christ paid our price and died for us. That Christ rose from the dead. That all who repent of their sins, call out to him, confess with their mouth, believe in their heart that Jesus is Lord, and God raised him from the dead, that they will be saved. We find that in Romans. And through this all, who are saved are new creatures, heirs of God, authority-given representatives of God's kingdom. That's what we need to be sharing. And we can't share that if we haven't stepped into the first step of making sure our name is written in that book. That is one of the most important things, important decisions that will ever be made. We have so many people that prayed a sinner's prayer and we were told if they were sincere enough in their heart that they would be saved. But they had no change in their life. They repented of nothing. And repent just means to completely turn away. No effort to stop anything that they were doing. No change in heart. Nothing that showed change. That's a problem. See, growing up as a teenager, growing up in the church, I started to realize that we were doing a good job of getting people to the cross and getting them to say a little prayer, but we sucked at discipleship. We sucked at following through. Yes, we got them to say a prayer, but did we ever see them again? They may have said a prayer, but like I said, if they had no repentance of anything, that was just words that they spoke. They said it with their mouth. They said it with their head, but their heart wasn't there. Excuse me again. The heart has got to be there with the mind. The heart and the logic, the heart and the conscience have got to both be there. You've got to realize it. Yes, I am a sinner. Yes, Jesus died for me. Yes, he was raised. Yes, he ascended up to heaven. He paid the price for me. And yes, he is given the gift of salvation. And all I have to do is say, God, I need you. I know I'm a sinner. I know I can't do this on my own. I know I am damned without you. 
There is zero hope. I need you to be my hope. And I need you to save me. And a part of doing that is to stand up and start walking towards the Lord. <coughs> to have a hunger for the Lord. Excuse me while I get something to drink. We've got to surrender. We don't have time for petty feuds. and Time is short. And we must be about the Father's business. And in order to be about the Father's business, we must surrender all of ours. Like one of my favorite hymns says from I Surrender All. It says, all to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him. In his presence daily live. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. So brothers and sisters, I ask you today, have you surrendered all? Maybe you surrendered all years ago, 10, 15, 20 years ago. And maybe you got distracted with some new things. Maybe it's time to surrender it again. Honestly, I would make an argument to say that every day, Today, we need to make a decision to surrender all. That falls back to the self-control as well. I surrender all. All to Jesus, I surrender. That means surrendering our identity. Doesn't matter what's on the church sign outside. That's not your identity. That's just the name of the house that you meet at. Surrendering our job titles. I don't care if you're the president of the United States. That title pales to the creator of the universe. Who has invited us into his realm and his kingdom. To be his people and his heirs. Surrendering our marriage. That's a big one. But I can guarantee you, as a couple, if you make the choice to surrender your marriage to God, you will have the world's best marriage in the world. Notice I didn't say perfect, but I did say the world's best marriage. It will be satisfying. Your children surrender Your entire life. Your strength. Because all in all, no matter how strong you are, you get famished and you're going to get weak. But we serve a God who has infinite strength. His stamina knows no end. And he says, stay under my wings. Fly under me. It says, find refuge in me. I am a strong tower. I was listening to a pastor not too long ago who's up in age. And he was talking about something that I can't fully relate to. But I understand what he's talking about. He was 
mentioning now that he's older, he understands why all the old people when he was growing up related so strongly to the Lord as a strong tower. Because he's talking about in old age, you feel very vulnerable. You're not able to defend yourself as easily. You're not able to do for yourself as easily. Your strength is not there anymore. Your health is not there anymore. But God is a strong tower. And I understood what he's talking about, even though I've never lived it. I can see where he's coming from. So what is your identity today? And what do you need to surrender today? And is your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life? If not, let's change that today. I beg you. Let's change that today. You will never regret that decision. Let's pray. Father God, I just come before you, Father. I just surrender everything before you. And I just pray that your words will just penetrate into our hearts and that they will manifest in a mighty, mighty way, Father. That any ears within hearing of my voice, Father, that they would hear you. They, they would surrender all and that they would come to a place where they accept you, Father. And that their names would fi- be found in that Lamb's book of life. That they would come to you in repentance and brokenheartedness and allow you to be their Lord of all. I just ask that you just bless us in all that we do. Keep us in your will. Hold us tight, Father. In your name.